Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you just for being our God, someone we can trust, who is faithful, who is all-powerful and mighty and all-knowing and, and just loves us. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Thank you for using me today for the anointing that breaks every yoke. Thank you that people will be helped and healed everywhere they hurt today. They're going to experience your love, Father. Help them to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. A sculptor. He sees a big block of stone. Someone like Michelangelo sees a 20-foot tall piece of marble. And he says, I see King David in there. I can't even draw a stick man. Not properly. But I mean, have you ever seen it? I mean, I haven't seen it in person, but the detail, I mean, some of it. <laughs> but just, you know, that kind of vision, that kind of artistry, that kind of beauty. And that thing, I looked it up yesterday. They don't really know because it's not for sale, but it's worth like between 100 million, 300 million, some insurance companies even say up to 700 million dollars for that, that, that thing. Could have taken him maybe three years to do it. Not bad. Not bad turnaround on your money, your time invested. Leonardo da Vinci, an amazing genius artist, did many things, but we know he painted the Mona Lisa most valuable painting in the world. $970 million. Might as well call it a billion dollars right now. They say it's worth. But then there's, there's God. The greatest artist of all. How many times do you just look at the sky? I mean, you just like, and you just wish everybody you knew was there. Oh, look at this. The sun setting in the west, you know, or the sunrise, or just some picture he's painted in the clouds that day, you know. Or just something you see in nature, you know, places you might have been, some of the most beautiful places, a waterfall or, you know, mountains. If you ever go up to Karis Bible College in Woodland Park, you can just look out the door and see Pikes Peak there, you know, and uh, it's just wonderful. Everything God created, flowers, you know, I love flowers, and I like getting close, you know. And my little granddaughter and I, we just, she just got into it since she was a baby. It's the only time she would quit crying is if I'd take her outside and show her and talk to her about the flowers, and butterflies started landing on her, and that's why we call her our little butterfly. Never seen butterflies attracted to someone like that. But that's all God, all that beauty, you know, the, 
the, the heavens, the stars, the universe. He created all that. But he saved his very best for last. You. Last thing he did. And then he rested. He wasn't tired from making you. He rested for the same reason that Michelangelo rested from the sculpture of David. The same reason that Leonardo da Vinci rested from painting the Mona Lisa. Anything more would have... He was done. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship. This is an interesting word. In the Greek, it's poema, from where we get the word poem. And it can also be translated... God's creative masterpiece. It's talking about us. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You say, well, I don't feel like a work of art. <laughs> I know, believe me. Well, it's true that we don't see things the way that God sees them, do we? Thankfully. It's not about our feelings either, by the way. The Spirit is where you connect with God. Isn't that what he told the woman at the well? God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. She had a hard time with that. He was talking to her about her personal relationship with God and her, about her things about herself. And what did she do? Change the subject. Started talking to him about doctrinal issues, about where to worship. And stuff. <laughs> he turned it right back to her. He was interested in her. He loved her. He wanted her to open up and be honest with him. Let him into all those places about her. But 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, For... The Lord does not see as man does, but he looks on, because the man, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God looks on the heart. God is very wise. <laughs> Sounds funny to even say that. Like, I, I hear you, duh. In 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, and 
the 26th through the 28th verse I want to read to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through the 28. And I gleaned this from the Berean Study Bible, which I, I begin to like more and more. The brothers, consider the time of your calling. Remember when you were saved. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world <coughs> to shame the wise. That would be the wise in their own eyes, you see. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly and despised things of the world and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So in God's wisdom, he created us and chose us, chose you. Ephesians 3.10 we were on 2.10, now 3.10. says, so that through the church, the body of believers, the manifold or multifaceted wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. Oh, you got to get this today. God chose us to demonstrate to the whole universe. You know, there's a whole other reality out there. And it's got rulers and powers and demonic authorities and then God's angels. And there's a lot going on around us that we can't see. But he chose us to demonstrate to the whole universe his multifaceted wisdom, his manifold wisdom. And he went, in a manner of speaking, to the, the junkyard. Don't take offense by this. But he went to the scrap heap of mankind To find the broken, the wounded, the sick, the lost. And he, he took the throwaways of the world and he said, I see something beautiful in there. Amen. Something I want for my own possession as part of my family. God loved you before you were ever born. Knowing that you would fail and fall in many ways and sin. And he loved you 
And he died for you anyway. He loved you till the end. John chapter 17, the gospel of John, verses 17 through 23. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. Jesus was praying on the last night of his ministry here on earth. To the Father. And he says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. He's talking about the disciples that were there with him, the original ones. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, set myself apart, and make myself holy, <laughs> that they also may be sanctified. In truth. And look at this one. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only. Here's where he starts talking about you now. Evelis. But I also. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. Through their message. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. It's a done deal. You have been glorified with Christ. Do you, do you even, I know it's too much to fathom, but I mean, have you ever just take a moment to believe that? The glory that you have given me, I have given to them so that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, they are that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The same. When Paul wrote about us being adopted as children of God, he was talking to a culture and a time in which that Roman culture in which um, when someone was adopted by a family, they by law had the same rights and privileges as the natural born child himself. So Paul even reiterated it. But Jesus said it himself. Even as you have loved me, you love them. All of us, as one body, one new creation, a unique and new thing, a new type of being, something peculiar, the Bible calls it, magnificent in God's eyes, 
And, and not just as individuals, as I said, but as a collective body, an assembly of people, the body of Christ, the church. The Word of God is like a mirror. We talk about that. It shows us our... One thing it shows us is our spiritual condition. It shows us first who God is, and then it shows who we are. And it's a love letter and a correspondence and a... uh, It's Jesus. But it shows us our spiritual condition from the inside out. Before we're saved, the Word of God shows us um, our, our utter sinfulness our destitute and desperate condition and situation. Stuck on four. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, creation into which entered corruption. We gave it away. We gave away the title deed. We gave away our authority. We gave away our rights and privileges and interrupted our relationship with God. And we were stuck, condemned, without help or hope in the world. And you need to know that. Then after salvation, after being born again, accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it shows us, the Bible that is, shows us who we are now. The new man in Christ. Praise God. Because of the five, the grace, the redemption found in Christ. We have gone from the unclean leper to a clean child of God, brand new. And that's not because we earned it. Oh, it's not because we earned it. We're right there in sec- in uh, in Ephesians anyway, right? So right there in that same second chapter, look at verses eight and nine. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing; it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So now, we're this new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. A new creation. And so, as it says back in Ephesians 2.10 where we started, this new creation is God's workmanship. His masterpiece a product of his creative genius and love. And this was always his plan. His purpose. 
to create a special people all unto himself. You can go back to the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 19. God was talking to Moses up on the mount, on Mount Sinai. And he, chapter 19 of Exodus, verses 3 through 5. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel. And now, reading this in, with new covenant lenses of grace, after, after Jesus on this side of the cross, you can save the church. You and me. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. That's the world behind us. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. That's what God did when he saved you. He bore you up on eagles' wings and brought you to himself. You didn't find him. Oh, they found God. Now they're crazy. No, he found you and made you crazy about him and he's crazy about you and this is a good thing. Verse five, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured Possession, there's that word again, among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Everyone wants to know, what is my purpose? What does God want me to do? Oh man, if I had a nickel for every time. I've not only heard it, but said it. That part, though, becomes easy if we'll just believe first how much he loves us and his plan regarding you for himself. His purpose of redemption for you was to bring you to himself And that what he said in, in Jesus, Jesus said in John, that same gospel, just a few pages before where we were in, in John 17, 3, he, he, he gave us the definition of eternal life in, in his prayer to the Father. Did, did the Father need to know what the definition of eternal life was? Or was that for our benefit? Father, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the one true God, and your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To bring us to himself, and then to make us into a special prized possession and treasure of his very own forever. Deuteronomy 32 
verse 9, the fifth book of the Bible, <laughs> full of grace. 32.9, Deuteronomy. But the Lord's portion is his people. You see that? The Lord's portion is his people. That's what he cares about. We're the objects of his love. He cares way more about people than anything we can possess or do for him or anyone else. And we are created to love as he does. He is love and we're created in his image. So when you act in love, that's just your new self. First John, the epistles in the back, First John chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, talking about how love comes from God, says there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment or torment. Doesn't it though? Because fear is from who? The enemy. And he hates you. The one who fears has not been perfected in love. In other words, see, people see this and say, I know I'm not loving as I should. No. What he's saying is you haven't been, you don't have a proper revelation of God's love for you. You need to let him love you. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. So let me ask you this. If you don't have a great revelation of God's love for you, how are you going to love? He's the only true source of love. And if you haven't received his love for you, it's impossible for you to love others like you want to. And this might be hindering you in your life. It will definitely hinder you in your life until you figure out and believe and put your trust in the love of God for you. Because you love out of the overflow, you see. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. This is the apostle, the love apostle, John. <laughs> Why is he saying that? For anyone who does not love his brother, talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. He really puts it in simple terms and it hits you right between the eyes. It's a good place for a checkup from the neck up or from the heart up. <laughs> they say that John in his old age, he's the only one that got to live out his life, you know. They tried to kill him 
says they boiled him in a hot oil or some hot substance and he swam around in it like a refreshing bath. <laughs> That's what history tells us. You can take it for what it's worth. But they couldn't kill him and they had exiled him. And, but he lived to be an old man. And they said in his old days they, he was in the, showed up for church and they called him up and, and he walked all the way up there, an old, old man, and all he said was, Little children love one another. And he went and sat back down. That's a pretty good sermon. (laughs) From the disciple whom Jesus loved. He said that about himself five times in his own gospel. That's where it is. That's what you need to do is have a revelation like that. Because that's how you'll love properly. We love because that's who we are now, you see. Like our Father, we love Him as in response to the love that He has shown toward us. He proved it by sending His Son to die on the cross for us. That's a lot of love. Yes, it is. And he still loves us every moment, every day. Amen. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. Amen. You need to just believe that God is love and that he loves you. This is why the body of Christ needs to understand spirit, soul, and body. That's why it's a fundamental, foundational teaching through the Bible college that I'm a part of and, and, uh, and Andrew Womack and all those that we talk about all the time, I'm not putting him up on a, a pedestal, I'm just saying. He's not the only one with that revelation, but without it, it has caused millions of ministers to teach incorrect doctrine. Because without understanding that you are a three-part being, just like he told the woman at the well, those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth, because God is a spirit. So without understanding that you are a spirit that has been regenerated, renewed, sealed, and perfected, incorruptible, that's who God deals with. God can't deal with an unholy thing. You see? So you look in the mirror, you say, oh man, I just told that guy off, or I just I said something unkind to my wife, or you know, I I just I knew I should have done this and I didn't. You know, it's how can God love me? It's it's not because it's because he he, he sees you differently than you see yourself. You cannot discern your spirit with your natural senses. All the world knows in psychiatry and psychology, nothing against anything that helps anybody. But they can never go past the soul, the body and the soul, the mind, the will, emotions, the personality. They don't know the spirit. And that's who we really are, you see. We're a spirit with a personality in a vehicle. And if you understand that that 
spirit has been renewed and perfected and is a new creation and then God is totally over the hills in love with that new person that you are, then you'll understand how God can love me so much. You see? And right now your mind is being renewed. When you see him, it will be completed. First Thessalonians 5.23 is the scripture that, talk, that, that, that Paul says we are spirit, soul, and body. If you ever want to just confirm that I'm not making that up. <laughs> so that's how we understand that it's the spirit man that God loves and identifies with. Not the mess he found in the garbage heap. I say those things to test you to see if you're really dead to yourself. You see. Once you do realize that, then it then it just it's easier to answer your call. You see your purpose. So now you can come back around. Now that you know God's purpose, you see, and you know your identity and His love for you, then you can come back around to your your purpose, your, what God wants of you, and so forth. See, it's not found in your occupation. That's the rain. Yes, it it's not found in your occupation. Your purpose. It's not found in your status in society or your influence or your possessions. It's found in becoming a living sacrifice. That's the starting point for stepping into God's plan that he had for you before the creation of the world. The graveyard is full of people who never spent one day in God's will. And you got ministers preaching that everything is God's will. <laughs> Romans 12, 1, 2. Foundational scriptures. Again, if you don't have this underlined in your Bible yet, and you carry your Bible, and you don't have it marked on you, then you haven't really been trying to apply or understand And I'm not picking on anybody, but I'm just asking you to try to, especially some of these very important doctrinal things, because they'll set you free. And they will empower you, because you're here to be helped, healed everywhere you hurt, empowered by the promises of God, loved with the love of God, and prospered in every way. And I want you to go help others with that same help that you've received, you see? Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, Paul said. I beseech you, he said in the King James. I'm begging you, he said. I, therefore, and when there's a therefore in the Bible, we need to find out what is therefore. Well, he had just laid out the most beautiful masterpiece about grace. 
on this Roman road. And now he's saying, based on everything that God has done for you now, and your new identity in him, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is the English Standard Version. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. See, your spirit, at this point, he's saying, therefore, he's saying, your spirit's already been renewed. You're already a new creation in Christ. God loves you. His son died for you. He's empowered you, endued you with all sorts of wonderful things from on high. Therefore, let's get to the soulish realm. Let's start renewing this now to get into agreement with the soul. I mean the spirit. With this, which is which is in agreement with this, if you ever want to know. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God, that's how you find out if it's God and not your flesh. And now don't get me wrong, you can make this thing say anything you want to. But you get someone that's anointed and knows God and they're going to call you out on it. And you'll have a little check in your spirit too when you try to make it work like it shouldn't. Because the Holy Spirit's sitting there going, stop that. Stop that. You know better. <laughs> Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we're renewing our souls, our minds, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have the mind of Christ. So now you see, when people say, we have the mind of Christ, you're like, what? <laughs> Not me, buddy. That's why people get confused on their salvation. They get frustrated. They get hurt. They get wounded in church and by the church because they don't understand who they are and what they've become in their spirit and they're basing everything on their soulish realm and everything and they get frustrated. They just throw up their hands and say, oh, well, you see, this is why it's so important that we know who God is and who we are in Christ. Once you become a living sacrifice, throwing your will to the side and surrendering to whatever his plan is for you, then it'll be effortless to rest in him as he begins to show you the good works that he prepared for you to do before the beginning of time, as mentioned in Ephesians 2.10, where we started. <coughs> he wants to show you off to the universe. But just like that marble yields to the sculptor and that canvas to the painter's brush, the clay to the potter's hands, we have to yield to the artist and creator of the universe, our creator who loves us, our Father in heaven, 
who wants all the best for you, his creation, his possession, his children. Let him write your poem. It's going to be beautiful. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and for this beautiful truth of your love for your children. Thank you that it is very empowering, Lord. Help us to take the seed of this word, this truth, and help it to take root and bear fruit in our lives in the knowledge of your love for us in Christ that we might live out of the overflow and walk around in peace and love and joy which are abiding fruit of the Spirit inside of us already. In Jesus' name we pray.